Our reading today comes from 1 John 4, 1 through 6. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this, you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Recently, my wife and I decided to take the bold step in our life to finally buy a car. Now, we'd been carless for about a year, and it had served us great during that time. We loved it. We would walk everywhere. But it was just time to bite the bullet and to buy ourselves a car again. So, you know, we began the process of, of looking at Craigslist and looking at Facebook Marketplace to see if we could find something that would actually suit our little family. And we found something we liked, so I went to go check it out. Now I go meet this guy, you know, I ask him some questions and that sort of thing. And then I start to actually look at the car and to examine it. Now, when you're buying a used car, you want to make sure that you're getting the best deal possible and that nothing is wrong with the car itself. So you have to like examine it. You have to, you have to take the time to test it. You know, you're going to look all around the car on the outside for different damage. Maybe you're going to lift the hood, check all the fluids and that sort of thing, see if there's any leaks. Uh, turn the AC on and make sure the AC works because you never want it to come to summer and the AC's not working. All that stuff. You're going to check it all. And finally, after you've done all that preliminary testing, you're going to ask if you can take the car for a test drive. And you're going to drive it around and you're going to do the same thing again. You're going to examine it. And you listen for noises. You try to, you know, figure out if there's any red flags while you're driving it around. Maybe do a hard brake test, all that stuff. And once you've tested it, once you have examined this car sufficiently, you're going to make a decision about whether or not you are going to buy it. You actively discern based off of all the things that you've seen so far, all the things that you've looked at, whether this car is the one that's for you or not. Now, if you don't do this, if you don't follow this process, you run the risk of getting scammed. You run the risk of maybe buying a vehicle that has a ton of issues that the owner doesn't tell you about, and it's going to leave you on the side of the road just completely stranded, and it's going to be awful. It's going to cost you a lot of money in repairs. So you have to do the testing. You have to do the examining beforehand if you don't want something like this to happen to you. You have to test it. Well, I think in our passage today, John is advocating for a similar attitude of discernment, a similar attitude of, of testing things towards the different teachings that we hear as Christians. You see, John wants us to test certain things. He wants us to test certain beliefs that we encounter in the world so that we can actually discern well between the true gospels out there and the false gospels. He wants us to be discerning in our faith. 
He wants us to be testing. So my big point today is be a testing Christian, not a gullible Christian. And as we look at our passage, I want us to notice three things about testing that John's going to point out for us throughout the text. First, the need to test. Second, how to test. And third, an assurance for the test. So the need to test, how to test, and assurance for the test. So we're just going to look at each of these things. And as we look at them, we're going to see what it means to actually be a a testing Christian versus a, a gullible Christian. All right, so let's look at our first point, the need to test. If you have your Bibles with you, open them up to 1 John 4, verse 1, and let's read that verse together. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Right away here, John sets up a dichotomy between the spirits that are from God and the spirits that are not from God. And we actually see this in the two commands that he gives in our passage. He says here, do not believe every spirit, suggesting to us that there are probably more spirits than just the ones from God. And he says, test the spirits, suggesting that there's actually a need to figure out which ones are from God. So immediately there's this distinction between spirits that are from God and spirits that are not from God. But what is he talking about when he's bringing up this language of of spirits? You know, why would John be bringing all of this up at all? Well, I think it's important to remember here a, a little bit of the historical context behind this book. You may remember that some people have actually left John's community and they've started their own community. They've left the church and they've started their own sort of quasi pseudo church like thing. And at this new community, they are teaching things about Jesus that are wrong, that aren't true. They're actually distorting the gospel that had been originally proclaimed by John and the other apostles. And as they do this, these people are claiming that they speak from the capital S spirit of God. They are claiming that they have the Holy Spirit on their side, on their team. Now, we don't know this for sure, but it's possible, possible that maybe these people were even performing or or seeming to perform some miraculous works and claiming that they had the power of the Holy Spirit while they were doing that. So John is warning his readers. He's warning this church not to be fooled by this. And he reminds them of their need to test these people so that they can discern who truly is from God and who is not. Now that word test in our text means literally put to the test or examine. So when John says to us, test the spirits, what he's telling them to do is he's telling them to examine these people. You know, he's saying, weigh the evidence for and against them. Look at the things that they're teaching. Look at the things that they're saying. Ask them questions. Be discerning about the things that they do and the words that they speak. You see, he's telling his readers here to be sieves and not sponges. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, 
Think of a sieve for a minute. You know, a sieve is this uh, sort of metal mesh colander type thing, and it, it allows water and other things to pass through it, but it collects all of the impurities in the mesh so that you can just throw them in the garbage right away, throw all the junk out. Whereas a sponge, on the other hand, it will pick up every single thing it touches. You know, it soaks it all in. You know, a sponge, it's basically just the totality of every single thing it's ever touched. It's full of bacteria, it's full of dish gunk, all of that gross stuff. So if you're a sieve, you're going to hear ideas. You're going to be confronted with the teachings of this world, but you're going to strain out all of the bad stuff through the testing, through the discerning that you're actually doing. But if you're a sponge, you're going to hear ideas and you're not going to test. You'll be confronted with the world and and the, the teachings of the world, the ideas of the world, and you won't strain anything out. You're going to take it all in, soak it all up, and basically you just end up becoming, you know, the totality of every single bad idea, every ideological viewpoint, every false teaching that you have ever, ever heard. So let me ask you a question. Are you a sieve or are you a sponge? Are you soaking in every single idea You know, just taking these different things at face value. When you read the news or when you're on social media and and you're just inundated with the teachings of the world, do you accept these things without questioning them at all? Or do you have an appropriate amount of skepticism where you test them? Are you quick to accept every single thing that calls itself Christian in this world? Or do you test it? Do you examine it? Do you examine what's being taught to see whether it's actually true or not? Are you a sieve or are you a sponge? Look, how you answer that question is so, so important. Because John says that many false prophets have gone out into the world. You see, there are people out there, people in the world who who want to deceive you. There are evil people, malicious people out there who, who are intentionally teaching just downright false things for their own personal gain. And there are others out there who've just, they've been so blinded by the things of this world that they don't intentionally teach false things. They're not trying to to lead you astray, but they still aren't teaching what's right. They're still not teaching what's true. And both, both will lead you away from the true faith if you aren't testing them. Satan would love nothing more than to see people deceived away from Jesus through false teaching and through false prophets. And you know, these peddlers uh, of the false truth, they're going to be so nice. They're going to be so, you know, apparently loving and, and so apparently kind, sometimes even so Christian-y seeming that we will need to test them. We will need to actually be discerning to tell if they really are from God or not. You see, we will need to be testing Christians 
and not gullible Christians. So we need to test, but how do we test? You know, what tests does John actually tell us from this text to perform and do so that we can tell what is true and what's false? Well, that is actually our second point today, how to test. So let's look at it together now. Look at verses two through three in our text. By this, you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. John, in telling us how to test these spirits, how to test the spirits, wants us to look at their teaching. Now, in John's context, uh, this meant looking at what they thought about Jesus Christ. You see, his opponents, the, the people we've already been talking about, this, this other community, was teaching that Jesus was not fully divine. You know, they said that he wasn't God incarnate. And here John says, no, you need to believe that Jesus is fully God and fully man to call yourself a Christian. So it's a test of their doctrine a test of what they actually believe that John says is so important. If they're teaching the wrong things, then they are of the wrong spirit. And this, this should raise a question for us. How do we tell what is the correct teaching and what is not correct teaching? How do we know what is right and what's not? How do we figure out what's true from false? Well, John, he actually tells us. Uh, look with me at verses five through six. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Notice here, John says, we are from God. And whoever knows God listens to us. Did you see that? John is appealing to himself here. He's appealing with this, this we and with this us to his apostolic authority, to his apostolic witness. What he's saying is he's saying that correct teaching comes from him. It comes from the apostles. And John even says this earlier in his letter, where in chapter one, right at the beginning, he makes it clear that as an apostle, he has seen Jesus. He's lived with him. Listen to this. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands. And then just a few verses later from this, in chapter one, he adds that as apostles, they have actually received a message from the Jesus that they lived with, that they encountered, that they now need to proclaim to people. We see this in chapter one, verse five, and he says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you. You see, in other words, as an apostle, 
as someone who actually walked and talked and lived with Jesus. He has been given authority by Jesus, by God to share authoritative teaching. He and the other apostles with him are the final authority on what is true teaching. Now the apostles, they aren't around today. They're alive, they're in heaven, they're enjoying communion with God and they're, they're just loving it, but they aren't here on earth. So how do we actually know the apostles' teaching? You know, where can we find their teaching today? Well, we find it in scripture. The New Testament is actually the collection of the apostles' teachings. And in this teaching, they actually affirm and they cite and, and they, they quote from and they allude to all of the Old Testament. And so they affirm all of the teaching of the Old Testament as well. So if we want to know apostolic teaching, if we want to know what correct teaching is, then we need to look at Scripture. John is telling us that the way we test the spirits is by looking at what they believe and then checking to see if that conforms to the teaching of Scripture. John is telling these people, he's telling his readers that they should be good Bereans. Now, I don't know how many of you know the story of Berea, but in the book of Acts, uh, Paul, he's traveling around the Mediterranean area and he's sharing the gospel in all sorts of different Jewish synagogues. And he goes to one synagogue in Thessalonica and he preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ there. And as he does that, some people believe, some people don't believe, pretty standard response to the preaching of the gospel. Uh, but some people, they actually get jealous and they want to start an uproar against Paul and his teaching. And this is what they do. So Paul, he leaves this town and he heads down to a town called Berea. And when he gets there, he does the same thing he always does. He preaches the gospel. And as he's preaching to this particular Jewish community in Berea, they actually examine the Old Testament scriptures to see if what Paul is saying is correct to see if what he's saying is in line with what they've learned from the Old Testament. And the author of Acts, he commends them for this action. Listen to this. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many, therefore, believed. You see, when confronted with something new, when confronted with this you know, new teaching of Paul, they go to scripture and they test it against the backdrop of the Bible. You see, scripture is our final authority on what's true and what's good and what's right in the world. Now we need to understand that we live in a culture that prioritizes our inner feelings and our experiences as the final authority for what's true and good and right. You know, Brett talked about this a couple weeks ago and he called it expressive individualism. Carl Truman, in his book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, puts it this way. An overriding desire for interpersonal happiness, 
and a sense of psychological well-being lie at the heart of the modern age and make ethics at root a subjective discourse. Human beings still like to think they believe in good and bad, but these concepts are unhitched from any transcendent framework and merely reflect personal, emotional, and psychological preferences. Any greater sense of purpose, any transcendent teleology is now dead and buried. Now there's a lot in there. There's a lot in that quote, but basically what he's saying is that personal happiness and well-being have become the final authority for what is right and wrong and what's good and bad in life. You know, I decide what's right for me. You decide what's right for you, but ultimately I am the authority of my own life. And this thinking, this type of thinking, this way of seeing the world, this is the water that we swim in in Vancouver, at our workplaces, at our schools. And even just as we watch Netflix, we are inundated with this worldview. We decide what's good for us. As long as it makes us feel good and it doesn't hurt anyone else, it really doesn't matter what it is. And because we swim in this water, when we hear the claim that a book from 2,000 years ago is meant to be the final authority on truth and on goodness and on rightness, we kind of want to immediately shy away from that idea. But we can't. We can't. Because it ultimately doesn't matter how we feel about Scripture. What matters is whether its claims are true. And if it's true that scripture is the final authority on truth, goodness, and rightness in our lives, then simply put, we need to take it seriously. We can't ignore it. We need to read it. We need to study it. We need to pray through it. We need to test the world by it. And we need to let it form us and shape us as people. Now, I'm going to say something crazy here but I want you to hear me out on this. Your feelings lie. Your lived experiences lie. They are terrible, terrible authorities on what is good and what's true and what's right in the world. You know, Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And Ephesians 4 18 tells us, They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of hearts. See, apart from God, our hearts are sick. Apart from God, our hearts are hard and our understanding of the world is therefore distorted, it's twisted, it's, it's messed up. And this is why our feelings are such a bad sort of arbiter of truth because our hearts are broken. We are broken. Fundamentally, we are broken people. You see, we don't need to get more in touch with ourselves. We don't need to figure out how to be more authentic in life. 
We don't need to figure out how to be true to ourselves. What we need is we need a cure for our disease, for our sick hearts. And that cure, according to scripture, is Jesus Christ. See, in the Bible, the reason that our hearts are sick is because we have been separated from God in our sinfulness. And the antidote to this problem is Jesus Christ giving up his life on the cross to pay for our sins, to actually atone for our sins so that we could be brought back into a proper relationship with God. And this relationship that we are brought back into is made known to us by the presence of God in our lives through the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, he actually begins working in our hearts, curing our hearts, fixing them, mending them by showing us the living word, Jesus Christ, over and over and over again. And he shows us the living word, Jesus Christ, as we go to the written word, the Bible, and applying it to our hearts. See, this is why scripture is our final authority. Because scripture, the Bible, as God's word for us, and as the Holy Spirit reveals them to us, it points us to Jesus Christ. It points us to our cure. And it's as we are cured that we know what's true. So John has shown us that there is a need to test the claims that we come against. And he's shown us how we can actually test those claims through the Bible, through scripture. But he also wants to give us assurance as Christians while we're doing this testing. And that's our final point today, assurance for the test. Look with me at verse four. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. John, because he's a good pastor, uh, he reminds this church that they're from God and that they've overcome these false teachers. You see, they've been testing and they have tested these people and they have overcome them. They have overcome the false teaching that they were faced with. But notice here, it's not their amazing intellects that John praises. You know, it's not their hard work that John praises. It's not the, the, the capacity that they have to think well and to reason well that John praises. No, John says, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. It's God's indwelling presence in the life of these believers that allows them to overcome. You see, it's God's free gift of himself making his home within us by the Holy Spirit that allows us to overcome. In other words, it's God's grace that allows these people to overcome false teaching. 
And this should be a powerful reminder to us of the assurance that we can have while we're in the midst of testing different false teachings, testing the things that we encounter in the world, the different worldviews that we face. You see, it's not as if we're just going to accidentally one day, you know, fall into some sort of false teaching. No, as we believe in Jesus, as we're reading his words, as we're studying them, praying through them, the Holy Spirit works in us and by God's grace, we overcome false teaching. Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Now, this isn't to say that we don't test. We do test. We need to test. But it does mean that as we test, as we regularly commit to uh, examining the world by the the Bible, uh, we can have assurance that God will sustain us through it. We can have assurance as Christians that God will not put us to shame, but he's going to see our salvation all the way through to the very end. Nothing will separate us from the love of God that we have in Jesus Christ. So with all of that being said today, go out now and be testing Christians and not gullible Christians. We're going to move into a time of communion together now. So if you've gathered together in your house church today, I just encourage you at this time to prepare the elements. Uh, You can grab the wine and the juice and, and prepare to walk through the liturgy together. And as we participate in the meal, just reflect upon the reality that Jesus Christ died on the cross to forgive your sins, to heal your sick heart. You know, his body, it was broken. It was pierced for you on the cross. His blood was shed for you on the cross. I mean, the God of the universe shed his blood for you. Be reminded of these things as you take the bread and you take the wine or the juice and you actually participate in this meal together. If you aren't a follower of Jesus today, we just ask you not to participate in communion. Uh, This isn't to make you feel excluded, but it's because this meal is actually a sign and it's a seal of our relationship with Jesus Christ. It's a sign that we proclaim him as the Lord of our lives. And we seek to obediently follow him in, in everything we do in accordance with the scriptures. So brothers and sisters in Christ, Come confidently to the table with the knowledge that he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And be reminded of the great cost of Christ to win this reality for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Lord, thank you that your Holy Spirit dwells in each and every one of us as we believe in your son, Jesus, making your presence known to us. And I pray, Lord, that as he leads us and guides us and moves us to read and know your word, that we could be testing Christians, that we would not be sponges that soak up every false teaching we encounter, but we, Lord, would test and discern the different things we encounter by your word so that we can be wise and that we could be 
gentle in the process as well. Father, I pray that you would just be with each and every one of us as we do this uh, testing in the world. And Lord, I pray that we would just be continuously empowered to share the gospel in our workplaces or at our schools or wherever it is we're going uh, in the week. Lord, uh, we are sent on mission to share the good news of your son, Jesus. And I just pray that we would do that by the power of the Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.